Hey y'all, this is Whitney and welcome back to another episode of Spastic Chatter. Spastic Chatter is a platform meant to feature those in the seropolitic community and I get together weekly with individuals with CP like myself to have a kind of uncensored chat, if you will, about what it's really like living with this type of disability. And for this week, I have Sonia and I came across her again on Instagram. I like to search Instagram for some rad people and I came across Sonia and she has she has a really interesting profile. She's a choreographer and an activist. And I'll let Sonia introduce herself. Hi, thank you, Whitney, for having me on Spastic Chatter. This is exciting for me to be a part of the community in this way. Uh, yeah, so you covered it when you said I'm a choreographer and an activist. I um, recently graduated college and my thesis was a contemporary dance production where each piece depicted um, a social emotional experience of having cerebral palsy from my perspective. Um, and unfortunately it was canceled due to the pandemic, but I'm still taking dance classes and choreographing on my own and ready to jump back in um, when live performance is a thing that we can do again. That's very cool. That's very, I'm, I'm like intrigued by that, like the, like your thesis and stuff, but let's, I want to take it back to the very beginning. I, I do this to some people. How was your childhood growing up with cerebral palsy? Because everyone's different. Yeah, so um, I grew up in upstate New York. Um, I have two parents who don't have physical disabilities and then an identical twin who um, has a disability that is not CP and is less physical. Um, and I would say that my childhood was like fine emotionally. I was well taken care of, um, but I did feel different and I used a variety of mobility aids, but I never used a wheelchair. And then in adulthood, I realized that wheelchairs are a thing that I could use that might be helpful. And so I'm about to get my first manual wheelchair and I'm really excited about that, but it took me becoming an adult and finding that on my own. Um, that wasn't really like made available to me when I was a kid. And I don't know that I would have wanted it when I was a kid. Yeah, you brought up, you brought up a, like, um, you brought up a, like several good points, but one of them is like your, just your uh, the manual wheelchair. Like a lot, of, a lot of people see a wheelchair as like a bad thing. Like, like um, there's a theme on this on this channel that like we, uh, as we grow up, as we age with cerebrality, we we uh, we come to accept our d d disability or limit. I don't want to say limitations, but we come we come to like we come we come in our own. So like. So like, like you're you're saying that you sort of accepted the idea that you that a wheelchair might be beneficial for Absolutely. you. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I I'm okay actually using the word with limitations because I find it really not problematic, but I I don't think it helps us when 
the message of like I can do everything that non-disabled yeah. people can do because I have limitations and I can't yeah. do everything. Well, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm all about using the word disabled. Yeah, <laughs> but I recently and there's some trolls out there that re I recently became under fire for using the word spastic. Like they like there's. No, like more power to you and yeah. your spastic, Bob, because like I will be the first to say that I have limitations and I am spastic. And I think being able to say that is what allowed me to open up to the idea of using a wheelchair because growing up, I was around a lot of non-disabled people who equated like doing well with like yeah. looking non-disabled. Exactly. And I'm like, but I am disabled. Like it's never going away. Like this is who I yes. am. And so coming into it as an adult, I'm able to be like enthusiastic about it. Like this is what yeah. I want. A wheelchair is a good thing. I'm exactly like that. Like, like um when I was like when I was like uh going to well I I'm a little bit older than you. I think I'm I'm thirty. So like when I was like a teenager, like younger like um like younger adult, I was all into using like the word differently able and like I'm like no, I don't have a disability I can do I can do everything you can do like and now I'm just like I cringe myself I was like did I ever why did I ever think like that I'm disabled and I'm proud there are things that I cannot do yeah that is that is okay like do you know the meme with like the skull exploding and they're like the different levels of discovery um where like at first it's just like a skeleton and then there's like some colors and it's sort of expanding and there's like all of these different panels yeah i think I've that's, that's what this reminds me of is like that's a phase that i had to go through but yeah. now i've like expanded my view and i'm on like one of the last panels with like the really colorful picture where like i feel like i have more options because to me that's what a chair is or what a mobility aid is it's just another option so like I don't obviously lose the ability to walk the minute I sit down and I'm, I'm privileged to have the ability to walk, but the ability to walk to me is just one ability and then the ability to use a chair is another part of my ability. Yeah, exactly. And for me, like for years, for years, I would not use a, a power chair. Like I wanted to use a manual chair because I wanted to, I wanted to appear less disabled than I, than I already than I already was and those were my exact words for using a manual chair well I have I have very poor range of motions so like it would take me hours to get places and then like I just came to terms with a power chair would be so much easier absolutely yeah so like you just come to terms with like with yourself and like being more secure with your with your disability, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I love that you use the word easier because I think there's this idea from non-disabled people that I'm supposed to be like working as hard as I can all the time or like pushing my body to its maximum capacity all the time. But like, it's actually fine for us to do the easier thing yeah. and probably healthier because like, like, yeah, I could walk a full day, but then I'd be like exhausted and in pain, similar to what you were describing with like avoiding using a power chair. And so I think it's really important that you say like, it's easier to do something different because there's no, like I, I say to non-disabled people, like imagine if you were sprinting at full speed 
all day. Like that's what that's what you're expecting. That's, 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 that's exactly how I describe it. Like my body, how my body feels at the end of the day. I'm like, I'm like, I don't know exactly how this feels, but imagine working out the entire day. Right. And then, and then, like at the end of the day, that's that's how my body feels constantly. Like, yeah. So that's how I describe it too. And you brought, uh, we have another thing in common. I have a, I have a twin also. Oh yeah. She's able, she's able body. She was, she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, but she's really just clumsy. <laughs> so she was, she was pretty much able bodied. So yeah, that's another thing that we have in common. But what did you, what did you get into dance and choreography? Yeah, so I, I started doing musical theater when I was nine years old, um, and I loved being on stage. But as I got older, group choreography became stressful. Like having to dance in a group of non-disabled people was like not my vibe. I was like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Because it was at a speed at which I couldn't really keep up with. Mm -hmm. And also I stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah. So I started when I was about 14, I started just moving on my own just to see what I could come up with because I, I still like to dance and I, I didn't think that the only two options should be like do it with everybody else or don't do it at all. So I just like literally pulled a folding chair in front of a mirror and started moving in the chair. And I was like, well, this is interesting too. So then there was a local talent competition in my town for high schoolers. And so I came up with a dance piece out of the chair to like modern music that we would know. And I only did things that like I could do. I didn't try to like imitate anybody else. I was like, this is my piece, especially because it was a solo and, and I was the only one on stage. Like I didn't have to try to imitate anybody else. So it was really freeing in that way. So anyway, I entered that in the talent competition and I actually placed third out of like probably about 20 people. Um, and so once I placed um, a local director and choreographer that I had done musical theater with was like, I want to expand on this idea and do another dance. So then she choreographed on me and I entered another competition and I won that one too. Um, so pretty early on, I was like, oh wait, there's something here. Like people like to watch it. And it was mostly non-disabled people. So I was like, this has its own artistic merit. Like, it's not like, oh, there's like the one disabled kid on stage with like 25 yeah, non-disabled. Like it's not like the disability porn or whatever. Like, right, yeah. <laughs> No, I was, I was very careful about how I was presenting it. And really at the end of the day, like I was just doing it because I liked it. Like it was nice that it was getting this attention, but I wasn't marketing it as like, oh, look at this disabled body on stage. I was just dancing the way that I knew how to dance. Yeah. So then once that happened, I went to college and I went to college for acting. And I had a teacher in college in a movement class that did not know what to do with me and was pretty like discriminatory in trying to teach me. Um, I won't get into like all of the horrible things that went on because I don't want to like trigger anyone. It was like not good. But coming out of that class, um, I was like, okay, I didn't really get an education there because the teacher was not good. So, and other kids 
in the class felt that too. So someone else who was in the class who is a non-disabled, like classically trained dancer was like, let's do our own movement to try to learn some of what we lost from that like poor teacher. So we created our own movement piece together that sort of looked at the differences between our bodies in like an artistic way. And then we presented that in Boston. So I had all of these like separate pieces, but people were starting to know that I was a mover. So then I took a dance class in Boston with non-disabled people, but the teacher had taught someone with CP. So she was familiar. So I would sort of like find individuals who knew, who were like open and accepting and yeah. informed instead of going into the settings of like, this is like a non-disabled musical theater call or like this is a non-disabled dance class and we're just going to see how it goes like i started to really find people yeah knew about disabled bodies um and got my education that way so that by the time i got to the end of college i had had enough dance classes and enough collaboration that i knew what to do with my body and i knew what i wanted to do for myself um also sorry this is like long-winded but um, also in between like in college i took a gap year and i worked in denver colorado for a year and in denver there's an integrated dance company which is a dance company with both disabled people and non-disabled people um and called spoken motion that i danced with yeah. Um, and they taught me a lot about moving in my body as well. And that was geared towards specific techniques as well. So I think sometimes when people think of like disability and movement, they think about like physical therapy and these really like clinical settings, right? Yeah. Which I've had a lot of in my childhood, but this time I was like, no, I don't want to do it to like get better. I don't want to do it for like a therapeutic reason. I just want to do it because I enjoy it. Well, that so makes that brings up a good question. Has has the has your movement classes or any like all the stuff that you you did, even though it wasn't meant to be therapeutic, like physically, did it did it have that benefit? Like, could you see a difference? Yes and no. I mean, I think I'm more comfortable in my body. I'm more grounded. Like, I'm not as self conscious in my movement, and I'm more thoughtful about how I am movement moving so like I don't know if you feel this way but often for me as a person with CP I would just sort of like throw myself into space and like hope that I didn't fall yes and now I'm like a lot more thoughtful about like where is my body going in the air or where yeah and where do I want it to go and what does it actually feel like because also I don't think that disabled people are like taught necessarily to no. They're not value the specifics of their body. It's just like you're different from the norm and that's it. Instead of like, this is exactly how you're different and why we're labeling you as different and the beauty in that difference, like all of that's not really talked about. No, it's not at all. So dance gave me that opportunity to find that for myself and be like, okay, what exactly is it that I'm throwing into space? And like, at what point do I fall over? Like, how far can I bend this way without hurting myself? Like, I found all of those specific answers, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, it's full sense. So um, you talked about, like before this, you talked about like a, a documentary that you were, that you were, you were in or did you do like were you did you produce it or were you i produced it yes yeah, so i was behind the scenes 
Yeah, you want to talk about that? Yeah, so in 2015, so about five years ago now, I released a documentary called The Souls Are Our Feet that was sort of, I just built it as like a documentary on disability, so like super broad. And so I spoke to people with all different types of disabilities, people with physical disabilities, behavioral disabilities, um, invisible disabilities, invisible disabilities, mental health issues. I mean, like I kind of, I found anyone that would talk to me basically um, and just ask them about their experience. And then I split up the film into seven sections about how disability affects all of these different things. So there was like sports and fitness and romantic relationships and fashion and disability in the media. And I'm trying to think of the other ones. Um, there was gender and sexuality. So I tried to cover a few different topics um, and I broke it down that way. And then, um, and I made it, so I made it as a senior in high school because my high school had an independent study program for the seniors where you could like pitch a project that you wanted to work on for a year. And then they would give you graduate, like credit towards graduating and a faculty advisor um, for you to do it during school. So, and I had a hard time in high school because I was the only disabled kid in the entire school, like physically visibly disabled. Um, and it was a small private school. So a lot of people were pretty privileged and didn't know disabled people beyond like stereotypes, right? So I was getting bullied and I was having a hard time just sort of existing in the school. So by the time I got to my senior year, I was like, I have all of these experiences and I wanna to talk to other disabled people about it. So maybe I can use this honors project is what it was called to do that. So I literally like just bought like a hundred dollar camcorder from like Best Buy and started like calling my disabled friends and was like, can I ask you some questions and put it on film? And everyone was like, hell yeah, because there's not a lot of like real disabled people on film, or at least at the time that idea was very new. Yeah. Um, so everyone was like eager to share their stories. And I started to notice as I was interviewing them that a lot of people, even though they had different disabilities, had the same experiences. So then when I went to edit, it all flowed really nicely. So by the time the film was finished at the end of the year, um, a lot of people like wanted to share it. So I've shown it at colleges and it's in a few college libraries like across the country. Um, I like toured it around Boston and some people from the UK even like ordered it online. So technically we're like international. So it's called The Souls of Our Feet. We're on the internet. Unfortunately, it was made right before streaming became a real thing. So yeah. I only have DVDs, but if people have a way to watch a DVD, I can get you a DVD. Yeah. That's, that's very cool. So that, that kind of brings us into another topic. Like you talked about being a disability um, activist. Mm -hmm. is, there, is there other projects that you've done that, that's, um, or do you want to share about your disability activism? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm part of an organization called Collage, which stands for, originally stood for children's, children of lesbians and gays everywhere. And it's sort of expanded to children of trans people and anyone with a queer parent, basically. 
Um, and I have two moms. And so very from a very young age, I participated in this programming. It's a national support group that usually meets in the summer. Um, and very early on, when I was a teenager, the people running the programming were like, we'd like you to talk to us about disability if you want to. So I started giving workshops to children ages eight to 18 all the way through about disability etiquette, stereotypes around disability, and sort of increasing awareness around disability. Then once I sort of got a workshop that I felt good about, um, I started bringing that to conferences of all different types. So some for queer people, some for disabled people, um, because people had heard about my work through collage. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's a conference called the True Colors Conference for LGBTQ youth. So mm -hmm. in 2014, I was a keynote panelist there and I gave a workshop there as well. Um, and so once I did a few conferences, I was like, oh, this is helpful to people. So I started to write a blog that summarizes some of that, but also just, I just talk about my experiences as a queer person and as a disabled person. It's called Where She Stands. Yeah. Um, and that's online as well. And so I've written about everything from sex and sexuality to the surgeries that I've had to um, stereotypes that people have made or microaggressions. I made a list of things that um, I would do if I was non-disabled to sort of show people how my normal is different. And so that got a pretty wide share. Um, and I also invite guest writers. So I try to network with other disabled women um, or female identified people who want to share their experiences. Um, and then also, I think some of my activism is in the dance and in the work is that like, when you make a film about people with disabilities or when you do a dance in a disabled body, I think that in and of itself is activism because you're forcing people to like stop and watch, take time for that person's story or take time for that person's art. Um, and it starts conversations. So like in my thesis, um, we had a piece called Overstimulated, which literally just gave walked an audience through what it feels like to be overstimulated without actually triggering anyone. So we sort of like pushed the envelope of chaos as far as we could without using like strobe lights or any of the things that would trigger someone. Mm -hmm. um, and then we were gonna have a talk back after the show and talk to folks about what, how the performance made them feel. Um, and so I think that those sort of like outreach moments or even just my Instagram page, like I think Instagram can be activism, especially oh, totally, for disabled totally, folks. Yeah. yeah, especially for folks who can't necessarily like get out and protest or, yeah. you know, get arrested or something like that. Like, <laughs> like I think the internet can be activism if we use it the right way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you're, you have done, you have done so much. I like it. Yeah at such a young age do you have any do you have any advice for um other young people or anybody in general <laughs> absolutely yeah i mean i feel like you'll probably agree with this is like i mean i think the most obvious quickest thing that i can say is like don't let the ableism get you down and and find ways to love yourself because i think I mean, that sounds so cheesy, right? Like, love yeah, yourself. Totally true. 
but it's true because I think also especially as disabled youth like I didn't have I didn't grow up in a world that reflected like disabled people falling in love or having children or that sort of like normal developmental path of like being accepted by other people and and what I've learned is that like that might take some time like you might not get to be around people who are immediately like I love you and your disabled body but if you can find ways to really feel that about yourself it'll get you through the hard days so like there are still moments where like dating with a disability is really discouraging and there are still moments when like I'm I'm not around other disabled people and it feels really isolated yeah. but you know if I can get up and take a dance class or if I can get up and put makeup on and like the way that I look in the mirror with or without makeup then that to me is like a win right so like find those small wins whether it's dancing or putting makeup on or just calling a friend, like find the things that bring you joy um, within your disabled body. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that, was some, that was some great advice. And um, where can people follow you on social media? Absolutely. So um, my Instagram is notorious underscore SRG. That's spelled N-O-T-O-R. I-O-U-S underscore S-R-G. Um, those are my initials. Uh, and then I also, my thesis project that I'm going to be reproducing um, when that's the thing that can happen is at, at this body's heart on Instagram. That's T-H-I-S-B-O-D-Y-S-H-E-A-R-T. And then on Facebook at the soles of our feet. Um, which is the name of the film, and Souls is spelled S-O-U-L-S. Um, that's me. Okay, and I will put all of that in the description below so that people can follow you and everything. Great. And thank you so much for being, for wanting to be on an episode of Spastic Chatter. I really enjoyed talking with you. Same. Um, and for those of you watching, if you want to be on an episode of Spastic Chatter, there's a link in the description or you can just comment on this video. Um, and again, thank you, Sonia, for being a guest. And Yeah, and thank you, Whitney, so much for opening the conversation and reaching out to me. I know sometimes that can be intimidating, like reaching out to someone that you don't know. I, mean, I, always, I always tell people like, that, like, you just have to take that risk. Yeah. If you don't take that risk, then, then you, you, don't get, you don't get anywhere. Like, yeah, I think that's a great like, piece of advice for, for disabled folks listening as well, is like take risks and do the things that might be scary because you yeah. might make a new friend or learn something exactly. new. Yeah. So, um, well, uh, to close this out, check back next week for another episode of Fantastic Chatter. And thanks. Bye.